Hey, welcome. My name is Tyson. I'm the, uh, one of the pastors here on staff at Stapleton Fellowship. And I have the privilege and honor of bringing forth God's Word. So if you have your Bibles with you, or your digital reader of some sort, open it to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to share a passage. It's, it's, in Luke, it's, it's called the Sermon on the Plain, right? And it's Luke's version of um, the Sermon on the Mount, taken out of Matthew. Matthew's, it's like 5, 6, and 7. Luke just has one chapter. So it's an abbreviated version of this sermon. It's called Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus is wrapping up his sermon, and he's covered a lot of material. And, and I'm sure all these people sitting around, these Jews sitting around Jesus' feet are just in are marveling at his authority and how he taught and the things he was teaching, the things he was doing. Um, but he, he says some really hard things at the end of this. And I, I'm just going to set you up that this is going to be one of those messages where you're like, that was rough. Right? I'm just going to say that up front. It's really challenged by because Jesus does something. He challenges us with a question. And that we, you and I, and both of us, all of us, rather, have to come to terms with. We have to kind of answer this and be honest about it. And he's kind of wrapping up his, his sermon. And he's talking about, really, I'll just tell you, he's talking about priorities. What are the priorities in your life, right? And he's going to hit on things like obedience and authority. All these things that are just like, yes, we want more of that, right? How many of you are just going, yeah, Tyson, preach on obedience. That's a good one, right? I feel like I'm setting myself up for failure right now. You guys are like, oh, okay, no, right? I'm making notes. Um, but Jesus is going to hit on these things. And I came, you know, setting this up, I came across this illustration and I think it's, it's kind of just this idea of priorities. There was an investment banker who had just, he was very successful, and he just bought a brand new BMW, and he is just very, he's just giddy, right? He's driving his car, and he's, he's up in the mountains. We can relate to that. He's driving the mountains. It's a snowy day, but he's just taking these turns, and he's flying. And all of a sudden, he, he loses control of the car, and he's trying to save it, but it's heading towards a cliff, and it's about ready to go off the ravine. At the last minute, he jumps. He opens the car door, and he jumps out, and in the process of jumping out, his arm gets captivated, right? It comes off. It stays with the car and it goes in the ravine. And there's this truck driver who's driving by and he sees it in his rearview mirror and he gets his truck to come to a stop and he, he runs up to the scene and he finds to his amazement that the investment banker is standing on the cliff looking down at his car that is now burning. And the man is moaning, oh, my BMW, my new BMW. And the trucker looks at him like, man, we've got other problems, man. We, your arm is gone. Right? We've got to find your arm. Maybe we can fix this thing. And the investment banker kind of looks at where his arm used to be. He looks back down the ravine. And he moans again. Oh, my Rolex. My new Rolex. Right? It's the idea of priorities. At this moment, this man has got his priorities completely messed up. Right? We should be looking for your arm. Let's get this thing reattached. No, my, my Rolex, right? But it's true to life. We see these things play themselves out where we know better. Right? We know better. We should do this. And there's those moments, hopefully, you don't experience them often where it's like, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. I know better. Right? So my, my, my family and I, talking about this story of, of cliffs and driving up mountains, we decided one thing we want to do, we've been in Colorado for almost four years, and we love Colorado. We love Denver. Getting to really love the Broncos, right? Go Broncos? All five of us. That's better. The first service is a little rough. You guys might want to, you know, tear in them a little bit. Right? But we love Colorado. And one of the things we want to do is, I don't know if you've ever done this, is drive up to Mount Evans. And if you've been there, you know where the story is going. So we, we're, we feel like we're acclimated Coloradians. Man, we're going to go up to Mount Evans. It's 80 degrees in the valley. It'll be colder up there. We know that, right? We're in Colorado. So what do we do with our shorts and flip-flops on? Let's grab a sweatshirt, Right? 
that's our, let's, uh, that's the heavy revy I got. Grab a sweatshirt. Everyone grab a sweatshirt. Grab a sweatshirt. We're going up to Mount Evans. Okay, we get to the, to the to right where you come into the park. And it says on a sign, it's 35 degrees and windy. Right? And there's that moment where you're like, ah, oh, we should turn around. No. Right? We're on a quest. We're going to do this thing. We drive up to the top. And if you've ever been up there, right, there's some moments where the road is really narrow. And you're just like, everyone's sucking. We're going around the turn. You go around the turn and you look down like, man, that's steep. And, of course, my boys are just adding drama to it. Like every time we go out in the corner, they're like, Dad, we're going to die. We're going to die. And there's this moment like, come on, I'm not that bad of a driver. You know, you need to look. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's on the road. It's just this steep. And you're up there, 14,000 feet. So we get to the top of this thing. Scratch that. We get to where you can park, right? And there's a parking lot. But we didn't quite make it in the parking lot. Parking lot's packed. And we parked a little bit down. And so we hop out. Wind's whipping. It's 35 degrees. You live in Colorado. You know exactly where this is heading, right? Boys, get your sweatshirt on. We get our sweatshirts on. It's cold, right? And we walk around. As I'm walking, this is what's funny. There's a guy standing outside of his car, and he's got the full gear on. He's just looking at me. It's this moment where this is like a sociological experiment where we're, we're exchanging. A co- we're having a conversation, but neither one of us are saying a word. And he's looking at me like, you are an idiot, right? He's got that look. And there's that moment inside of me where my pride rears up. I'm like, we're going to make it to the top of this, buddy, right? And we're freezing. So we look at him, and he like walk by him, like, hello. And he's like, hey, right? That's, that's what I get out of him. So we walk it up to the sign. Have you ever been there? There's a sign, like 14,100 and change feet, right? And we're at the sign, and I'm like, man, I'm thinking my pride's like, we've got to make it to the top, right? And my 7-year-old is now in tears, right? his little summer sweatshirt on, and his shorts, and his flip-flops, and he's like, yeah, it's freezing. And there's that moment where you're like, oh, man, the top's like right there. It's right there. And, it, of course, they close it after Labor Day. They just shut it down because the snow's coming. So me and my wife are like, well, there it is. Well, half we're going to have to come back. Right? It's a bucket list thing. We didn't complete it. We just but we knew better, honestly, right? I know you're looking at me like, Tyson, yeah, you don't know anything. I did. We didn't know better. We just didn't apply. All the gear was back home, but we didn't apply it to the situation. Here it is, right, 35 degrees, windy. We're freezing. Got my youngest one in tears. Everyone's like, this is horrible. Right, and now we're gonna go drive down this thing where I get this. We're gonna die all the way down. Right, so that that was my Labor Day, it was my Labor Day experience. But there's this moment where it's like, you know what? If we would just would have applied a little bit more knowledge to this bad boy, we could have made it to the top. Right, and that's true to life. And Jesus is kind of hitting on these ideas of priorities and, and authority and the idea of obedience. So we pick this up in Luke chapter six. I'm gonna read verses 46 through 49. And Jesus says. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Right there, we should just, there's a holy hush with that question, right? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, right? There's effort involved here. Dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the streams beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth, without a foundation against which the streams beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we want, uh, I believe each of us would want to be challenged by your word this morning and to grow closer to you. Uh, to know you more, to have confidence in who you are. So when the situations of life, when the storms come, because they come, that we would have the realization and the knowledge to know that we have built firmly upon you. 
So I, I ask, God, that, that you would take me, get me out of the way, that your words would resonate within us, that we would hear your voice speaking to us, that you'd open our ears and our eyes to you, and you only, and that through this time, Lord, you would be glorified and you would instruct us. We give you the praise, God. All the glory belongs to you, you alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, once again, Jesus is on, he's wrapping up his message, right? The Sermon on the Plain. And this is what he concludes with. And he poses this question, right? So your first notes, I want to point you here, this first verse of 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? Verbal acknowledgement, that's the word you want to write in. For Jesus, verbal acknowledgement is connected to obedience, Right? Verbal acknowledgement is connected to obedience. He is saying now he's, he's using Lord, Lord. And there's this idea. This, so the Greek word here is kyrie for Lord, which means authority, one who has authority. And we use that word, we translate it throughout the New Testament as one with authority. So Jesus is saying, when you come to me and acknowledge that I am one of authority, you know, why do you do that if you're not willing to surrender to my authority? And I think he's, he's really getting at the religious leaders of the day. Because, I mean, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he's fixing the addendums. You've heard it said, but I tell you, right? And he's kind of rebuking them. And these people are soaking this up because up until this point, their only hope was to become like one of the religious leaders. That, those are the people blessed by God. And Jesus is saying, no, blessed are those who are broken, those who mourn. Blessed are us, you and I, because a Savior has come. And that's what he's explaining to them. And he has to say to the point that, that, that don't think that I've come to abolish law, but to fulfill it because he didn't want their thoughts getting like, too crazy. That he's it's this new teaching. And he comes into this and he's saying, hey, Lord, Lord, why do you come to me and say, Lord, Lord? See, the rabbis would say it was a, it was a term of endearment when you said the, the title twice or the name twice. So really, Jesus you know, was responding, Lord, Lord, we would, we would take that to say he's speaking to the religious leaders. But you and I can find ourselves on that boat very quickly. If we come and we say, you know what, Lord, you are my everything. You are my rock. You are my authority. I trust in you for salvation in Christ alone. Right? We just sing it, my cornerstone. But if we say these things and we don't do his words, Jesus has a harsh question for us. Why are you coming to me? Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Plug your name into this verse. Tyson, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do the things that I say. That moment, you're, that, it's pretty rough, right? For lip service is, is not a mark of discipleship. It's not, one, it's not enough to just say, you know, he is this. They, they are making a theological statement about who Jesus is. The leaders are coming, right? We, we can make that. You are Christ. You are the son of the living God. Then he was just going to say, that's good. That's a, a theological statement about who I am. But is it, are you living it out? Are you trusting me enough and surrendering enough to see this in, in application in your life? Obedience, which flows from a personal commitment, is crucial Right? Each of us have to do this. Obedience does not precede grace, but it does follow after it. It's not that we, we get ourselves perfect and we come to Christ in salvation. Jesus is not even talking about salvation here in this context. Right? He's talking about disciples, those who are followers of Christ. If you cross that line of faith, guess what? He's speaking to you this morning. He's saying, are there moments in your life where you've come and you say, God, you are this, and I'm asking you for authority here. But would he turn around and say, why aren't you following me? Why aren't you trusting me? If you're going to acknowledge my authority, you don't have a trust enough in me to actually apply it or surrender to it or yield to it. That would be what Jesus would be saying, not only to the religious leaders, but to us. We find ourselves in that boat. So what does he mean by obedience? If you were to look at just um, 
this sermon, right? The Sermon on the Plain. Jesus hits on like the good tree, right? The tree that bears good fruit. That we should uh, love our enemies. That we should go about doing good and lending without the expectation of return. He hits on all these themes. But for us this morning, right? So one thing, the Jews listening to this, but for us, we would say it's the whole word of God. Obedience is to the whole word of God. The Old Testament is talking about Christ coming, right? In the Gospels, Jesus is explaining who he is. The rest of the New Testament is talking about how we can follow after him. So for us this morning, as followers of Christ, when we come and say, Jesus, you have authority, he is saying, are you listening? Are you reading? Are you meditating? Are you studying? Are you, I like the word chewing, um, that chewing on God's word. Anyone ever use that? I don't know where I got that one. It's a good one, though. Are you chewing on my word, right? Are you chewing on it? Are, are you soaking it in? Is it affecting who you are? Is it affecting your reaction to a situation that normally you would just go crazy or just get angry? Is it moving in you? Right? And then Jesus isn't asking for perfection. He's not saying, hey, you've got to apply all of God's word to your life, and then, all right, then you can come to me. He's not saying that. He's talking about a journey. You've heard many times on this stage, you're probably sick of it, and we're going to continue to say that every person's on a spiritual journey because it's true to life. It's true to who you are. Right? And we want, as a church, to see you take that next step. And part of, of surrendering or yielding parts of your life that you know you should ask God, I need your help here. Right? As a father, I know the Bible speaks to raising sons. I should not exasperate that. I should not crush their spirit. I need to, to be soft and gentle at times. So I'm going to do my best to raise my sons that way. My wife, right? The Bible speaks as a, as a husband to my wife. How should I love my wife? It's Christ loved the church. In Ephesians 5, this is how I need to do that. So I'm going to work on those things and apply it to this. Does it mean I'm perfect? No. Right? Absolutely not. Spend 20 seconds with me. No, he's not perfect. He start pointing out all my flaws, right? Hopefully not. But that's the idea. Sometimes we think, here's the standard. Jesus wants this. No, he wants you to take that next step. Where are you at in this journey? Right? Verbal acknowledgement is it's connected to obedience. You're going to come, and we're going to ask God, God, I need your help in this situation. And then we go about doing the situation the best that we think we should without consulting the Bible. There, there becomes this problem. It's a problem for Jesus to really, and I call this like a bubble buster. This is a moment where you're just like, because you hear it in the Bible, right? Jesus is... He wants us to come. He desires to give us grace and mercy. For God so loved the world. He loved you and me that he did what? He sends Jesus in the world. So we kind of attach all this good stuff with Jesus. Then there's this question where he comes and he kind of busts that bubble a little bit. And he says, hey, 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 I am all those things. And I desire to give you grace. But why are you coming to me and asking for me to move in your life when you're not actually willing to love me enough to apply this? He's not asking for perfection. He's asking for that next step. That's what he's getting after. You know, I know it's, it's, and I know you know as well, it is football season. All three of us were like, yeah, I saw some of your head. It's football season, right? And the Bron- we love the Broncos. And I came across this illustration because I think this part of this message really for us is the, is the biggest grind. This is where the rub is at for you and I. It's about pride. What Jesus is hitting at is your pride. Because we know in society, we're told, right, be your own boss. Do it your own way. It doesn't matter as long as you feel good. It's all relative. No worries. Right? Just do it. It's not hurting anybody. That's what the world is preaching at you. And so you're struggling with those ideas and that worldview and where you exist. And Jesus is saying, well, why are you coming to me if you're not willing to challenge those worldviews against the word, right, his word? Because that's our deal. We're sitting there going, it's all relative. It's all fine. No, it's all worried. You know, it's like that whole relative deal when, when – uh, it's fine if you want to steal. That's relative. That's your deal. You want to steal. That's fine. Just don't steal from me. 
right? You know that whole little no one? Okay. That's part of that deal where, it, where that's the society in which we exist. This is what people are saying. So Jesus comes on the scene with this, this contrary thing. Well, why are you coming to me? So I came across this illustration of Roger Staubach. Because it's football season. Um, go Broncos. Bless him in Jesus' name, right? Um, there are probably multiple times I'll pray for him here. No. Uh, and, you know, but he was the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys in the late 60s, early 70s. He had two Super Bowl championships with him. He was, he was a, uh, a Navy girl. I think he went to the academy, and he went to Vietnam. He served in his country. and I mean, he was a stud. He was a stud kind of athlete. And, and um, it, it's interesting because you, you say the word Dallas Cowboys and those people, it's either you love them, right, or you wish that the, all the starters would have season-ending injuries, like right today. It's just one or the other. They're polarized people. I don't know why that is. But Roger Staubach was a phenomenal guy. But even him, in his walk, and he's a believer, he struggled with pride. And he shares this story, right? Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to the World Championships in 71, admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of trial for him, right? He didn't call his own plays like Peyton Manning does, right? He calls the plays or the audible at the line or whatever. He didn't call his own plays. Coach Landry, who's since passed away, was another believer. Coach Landry sent in every play, and he told Roger when to pass, when to run, and, and only in emergency situations could he change the play, and he better be right, right? So that's what he's operating in. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, pride said that he should be able to run his own team, to run his own team. And he goes on to say, I faced up to the issues of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Ultimate Super Bowl victory. Right? Here's this guy who's disciplined. Military guy. Accomplishes all this. Hall of Famer. Phenomenal athlete. Yet struggling with pride. And I think this passage with Jesus, why he says this, and why it should affect us, is that he's dealing right to the heart of who we are, our pride. Because one of the things that you're going to have to wrestle with later today or tomorrow this week is that are you going to follow his word or are you not? That's what he's challenging us. Why are you coming to me? Why are you saying, Lord, Lord, you're not willing to do this? I love this quote from Benjamin Franklin about pride. See if you can relate to this. There's perhaps no one of our natural possessions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. Can anyone relate to that? You ever met a person who was so humble they were proud about it? Right? It's just always there. Our flesh and this, this struggle is always in us. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing under the sun, right? It is something we've always dealt with. Paul dealt with it. I want to do this, but I end up doing this. And you know, I guarantee you, every one of us in this room is going, yes, I, I, I get that tension. The flesh is weak and the spirit is willing. And I struggle. And Jesus is saying, but man, come and try. When we, when we sin and we mess up, he's saying, repent. Man, get that relationship restored. Keep moving forward. He wants us on the journey, but he's challenging us. He sets that challenge in front of us. Why are you coming to me? Tyson, why are you coming? And saying, I have authority in your life and you're not willing to yield. Our response is, God, it's this struggle with pride. I want to trust you. I do. I want to trust you. Right? We mess up. No one's perfect. He's not asking for perfection. But he's saying, put this. Come on. Trust me. I have a better way. 
I have a better way. Trust me. Taste and see I'm good, man. Trust me. That's the challenge he sets before us. So where does that leave us? If we're our struggle, right, we're dealing with, with our flesh, we're dealing with our pride, where do we go from here? In verse 47 it says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. All right, so Jesus, for Jesus, he just bursts our bubble. Great, let me deal with that question. But then he turns around and he says, Whoever comes. Right? So I'm going to call this, in your notes, it said, this wisdom, I'm going to call this wisdom, is available for everyone. Even the religious leaders, because Jesus is directly addressing them. Any religious leaders, right? Lord, you call me Lord, Lord. But he includes them. You and I are included in this. His desire, really, his heart of God is here, that you would come to me, that you would trust me, that you would see me. So this wisdom is available for everyone. The religious leaders, it doesn't matter your background. So what kind of wisdom is Jesus talking about? What I think Jesus is talking about probably already figured it out. He says, what? Hear and, and do. So the words you want are learning, right? Take time to learn God's word, learning and applying, applying it to everyday life. That's what exactly Jesus is saying. It boils it down, simplicity for us. I want you to hear my words. I want you to study the word of God. Then I want you to do it. Bam, right? There it is. Do it. Learning, applying, studying, right? Application. This is the whole deal. It goes together. And he wants us to build our house wisely. I'll throw some wisdom here. Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4, it says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. God's desire is that you would build wise, that you would be smart, right? He's not asking for perfection. He's asking you to take that next step. There's an area in your life that maybe you need to surrender or trust. God, you've got a better play here. Help me to do it. Right? We know, we're, if we're tr- true and honest with ourselves, we mess up a lot. And we're thankful for God's grace. He desires to give that to us. Build our house well. And it's available for everyone. Romans 10, 12, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So when we, des- we decide to take time, right, study God's word and to apply it, what? At that moment, are we doing? My last point here says, when we do that, we build on a sure foundation. We build on a sure foundation. Verses 48 and 49, it says, He is like a man building a house who dug deep, right? There's the element of effort and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the streams beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So here's the point. I'm going to call this Jesus' illustration. I know they call it the parable of the two builders, but I really think this is wrapping up his sermon. And he says, guess what? Both people are building houses. Both people, one is building wisely. One is, is hearing God's word and applying it. And he equates that to digging deep upon the rock and building his house upon the rock. <clears throat> and the other person is not. He's just laying the foundation and going. But the point is, both people are building their house. Metaphorically, you this morning, you have been currently to this moment and still are shaping and building your house. 
You're building it one way or the other. It's not if you're building your house. It's what are you building it on. The storms affect and influence both houses. Right? Some of us have lived through these storms. You know exactly what we're talking about. I lived life long enough. You know, yeah, life is hard. Storms come. And so there's all these Jews sitting around Jesus and they're listening to his words. So how would they understand this? They would be going, yeah, that's smart. That's wisdom. Dig down. Because in their climate, their, their, their earth, right, their, their ground, their soil was heavy laden with clay. And in the summertime, that stuff would get hard. They would say it was like bronze, right? And so it would be easy for a person to go, this stuff's like cement. I can't dig through it. We'll just build a house on it. But all those guys sitting around Jesus, all those men and women sitting around Jesus listening, going, yeah, you better dig through that clay. You better dig down into the rock, to the bedrock that sits underneath. Because they probably know if people are going, yeah. So in a physical sense, if you're going to build a house, you've got to put some effort and dig past that hard clay. It seems like cement. And get down to the rock and build your house. But the fool does not, right? The foolish person just builds. So what happens when you build on the clay? They would all understand this. The rains come, that clay is no longer hard. It becomes malleable. It starts moving. And Jesus says, great is the ruin. Not just like you lost one wall. You lose it all. That's what he's saying. You lose it all. So in a physical sense, all these Jews sitting around Jesus are going, yeah. I imagine they're nodding their head. <laughs> yeah, he's making eye contact with them. They're going, uh-huh, that's right, Bill, dig. You got it, man. Dig. Down the... In a more metaphorical sense, he's speaking to us in the sense of, of your life. But even more so, I think Jesus is, is stepping upon a passage of Scripture in Isaiah. He's fulfilling prophecy because he's saying, if you hear my words, right, my words, and put them into action, you are a person who builds on the rock. And I think some of these Jews are going, well, wait a minute. Is he, is he saying he's fulfilling the very the prophecy, right, in the Old Testament, talking about the cornerstone? In Isaiah, chapter 28, and verse 14 through 18 here, or 17, he says in verse 14, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people in, or in Jerusalem. Um, really quick before we get into this, Isaiah is prophesying to the men of Judah, the leaders of, of Judah, who, are, who have made a covenant with Egypt. So the Assyrian army is coming, and the, and the Assyrians are just like just, just crazy destroying everybody, right? And they're coming, and the, and the Israelites know it. The Assyrians are coming, so they don't put their faith in God. They don't seek God. They don't pray God. They don't desire what God has or God's deliverance. They go, you know what? We'll be crafty and smart. We'll put our faith and trust in the Egyptians. Egyptians will show up. They'll save us, right? So that's kind of the scene. So Isaiah, who doesn't mince words here at all, he jumps right into this thing and just like says some harsh things, right? Check this out. It says, therefore, once again, verse 14, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said we have made a covenant with death. So he doesn't, he substitutes Egypt with death here. And with Sheol, we are in agreement. Sheol was the place of the dead bodies, or Hades. And when the overflowing scourge passes through, which is the Assyrians, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. There's no wonder they wanted, they hated Isaiah. They just wanted to kill him. Right? I mean, he's like point blank going, look what you guys are doing. Look what you're doing. It's not a covenant with Egypt. It's a covenant with death. And you've put your hope in a refuge of lies. And this necessitates why we need a Savior, why we need a cornerstone, right? Because our thinking is all messed up. What do we do? We always look out for number one. Here's exactly what the, what the Israelites, the men of Judah, were doing. I know how we can fix this. I know how we can take care of this. I got this idea. Let's go make a covenant with Egypt. So 
God realizes, you know what, we've got to bring a Messiah on the scene. We've got to fix this thing, right? So there, verse 16, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion, that was a mountain in the city of David, a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So here we have the, the hope in Jesus going back. Right, he's back on the Sermon on the Plain here. I'm fast forward. And he's saying, if you hear my words and put them into place, you are building on a sure foundation upon me. Right? So what is this sure foundation? Look at the words. Going back to Isaiah, look how he explains this sure foundation. It is a tried stone. What does that mean? It has been tested. You can rely upon it. It is a precious stone, right? The idea of, of it being priceless. You can't buy it or earn it. This is a gift of God. It's not only that. It's a precious cornerstone. It is distinguished, binding two sides of a building, an essential position in the entire structure, right? The point is it's not just a random or another stone, but it supports the entire building. Then he goes on and says, it is a sure foundation. It is unshakable. It is fixed, firmly laid, so that it cannot be moved. And what's interesting here is this is past tense. From the foundations of the world, God was sending a Savior for you and me. And throughout the history of the Jewish people, as you read through Isaiah and read through Jeremiah and the, the captivity, all the things they went through was this struggle, my way or God's way. Struggle with obedience. Struggle with that pride that so raises its head all the time, wants to take credit for everything. It's this struggle. And Jesus comes and he busts a little bubble and says, why are you coming to me? And saying, I have authority in your life when you won't yield to my authority. So Jesus goes, look, hey, when you come, please come, right? Build your house wisely. Build it upon the rock. And it's amazing because Isaiah ends this with saying, whoever believes will not act hastily. And I believe that's a contrast against those who don't believe. Think of, think of this world. Think of the things that the world desperately wants. See, Jesus not only gives us salvation, he gives us peace. Peace that transcends all understanding. He gives us joy. The joy of our salvation. Joy isn't dictated by circumstance or situation. There's something that is in you that Christ, can, Christ truly gives quietness, rest, all these things the world desperately wants is found in Christ. And those who know this, right, they don't act hastily. They can trust him. He's a tried stone. So Jesus you know, sets this contrast up for us along with Isaiah. And we're left with this decision. So he, he kind of busts our bubble a little bit and says, man, why do you come and call me this? But when you come, right, he challenges a thought and he says, but I expect you to come because you're on a journey to follow after me. And he wraps it up with his contrast. Look, look what you're left with when you're decision-making. Here's what you need to reference, right? In the Gospel of Luke, this passage here, you've got the wise man who builds on a sure foundation, right? It is the rock, patron. There's the Greek word, right? Rock. Contrasted against the guy who builds on no foundation. And if you look in Luke's account, or excuse me, Matthew's account, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, same thing. He's wrapping up his message, the end of his message of chapter 7 of Matthew, he refers to the wise man who builds on the rock, right? And the fool who builds on the sand. 
And you've got Isaiah's contrast, right, that Jesus is stemming from, he's standing upon. And Isaiah contrasts a sure foundation of rock, right? It's been tried and tested. It's precious as the cornerstone. It's essential to your life and to your building. And he contrasts it with what? Death, Sheol, lies. I mean, the decision is really easy, isn't it? Or you can put this into application and go, you know what? It's better to build my house on the rock. Our struggle, our grind is going to be our pride. And you have to hear these words resonate in you. You have to have Jesus asking that question. And maybe it's an every morning, God, let me be true to you. Today I'm probably going to mess up, but let me apply. Let me apply your word. God, I'm probably going to mess up. I know, but help me. Help me live this out. Help me in that moment where I normally I respond in anger to respond in grace. Help me in this situation here. Help me with this. Help me with this. Right? Keep on praying at all times with all kinds of prayer. Ephesians 6.18. This is where we need to be. And that is the challenge set before us. As a church, right, one of the pastors here in the leadership, we believe there are certain things that we want. Out of the word of God, we want to see it resonate in you. We believe everyone's on a spiritual journey. And we want to fulfill you and help you on your spiritual journey in, in a couple of ways. And one of them is, is meeting together. We believe we should not forsake the assembling together, which is a service. This right here. Good job, right? You're here. It's part of it. But as you walked in, you saw all the tables in the back. And what we want to do is, is really challenge you to be a part of a community group. We believe life wasn't meant to be lived alone, not in isolation. We join with a community group, pray about that, plug into that, because there's a, there's a moment where you can you know, bring accountability to a situation or be accountable to a situation. You can have conversation. You can be challenged and then during the week where you can say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. Guys, help me. I'm walking through this. Other people who, who know you and go, man, I'm with you. I'll walk with you. I'll show up with you. Go through a difficult situation. They're the ones standing next to you, right? That idea of communion. It's not just receiving, but it's part of your story. And you connecting and you giving. So I ask that you would prayerfully consider that. If you're not part of one, be a part of one. And then the last thing is also that you need to have a devotional life. There needs to be a moment where you open that word, a verse, a chapter, whatever it might be, and begin to chew on it. That's what I call it. Chew on it. Study it. Memorize it. Because there will be a moment when you put that word in you. There will be a moment where the Spirit will quicken you. And you will go, that's what it means. That's what this looks like. That's what the, I get it now. You have those moments. But it comes from putting it in us. I had a pastor one time tell me that, talking about devotional life, and, and he kind of just said, you know, a lot of people think we can do this once a week, and it's, you're fine. Come on a Sunday for 35 minutes or however long this message is, and I'm good for the week. And he equated it to learning French. I don't know why he picked French, but it's like, could you learn French 35 minutes, one day out of the week? Could you think you could ever speak that language? Nope. <laughs> right? There's no way. But we've got to start somewhere. Right? Here's a good starting point. And we need to add to it. Every day we need to have this time. 